You're listening to a presentation of Arising, a community of faith designed to see people far from God raise a true life. We're always encouraged to know God is changing lives through this ministry. If you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know and send an email to stories at wearetherising.com. Now, prepare your heart and mind to hear a word from God. Hey, you guys can go ahead and have a seat. Thank you so much, man. Hey, give it up for that band one more time. Wow, 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 wow. Hey, and they bring it like this every Sunday. Like, we're not fronting because it's Christmas Eve. Like, we bring it this way every Sunday. Man, that's awesome. Well, hey, I wonder, um, how many of you guys know what you're getting for Christmas tomorrow? How many of y'all have been raiding the trees, shaking the, the presents, trying to figure out what it is? See, I, I, I used to do that. I, I don't do that anymore, though, because I got a two-year-old daughter, and uh, I trained her to do that. And so she goes to the tree, and she, but she doesn't understand the concept of shaking, so she just unwraps them. <laughs> and so I know exactly what I'm getting for Christmas tomorrow. And so, honey, thank you. Thank you so much for those underwear. I appreciate that. It's, it's good. They look good. I like the color. Purple is great. So thank you. I appreciate that. But, uh, no, you, you know, every year, every year I get something new for Christmas. I, I get something different every year for Christmas because I go through phases in my life. Uh, like two years ago, uh, I was really in, into cooking, and, and I wanted to be a master chef. And so my parents got us some really nice pots and pans and some really great knives. And then uh, last year, I got a whole lot of magic stuff. I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm a professional magician on the side. That's what I do. I do stuff. It'll blow your mind. You don't got to, I mean, you don't got to clap for it, but that's cool. I'm glad, I'm glad you're excited about that. But, uh, but, but and th- this year, I, I don't know what I'm getting, though, because I didn't really ask for a whole lot. I just, I, I, so I have no clue what I'm getting tomorrow. But uh, every year, I get something different. But I also get the same stuff every year. There's stuff that I can count on getting every year. Like, like I know tomorrow, I'm going to get a stocking full of oranges from my mom. Just, I, I don't know why that is, but ever since I was little, she always gave me a stocking full of oranges. I think because I think they're cheap and they, and they fill up the stocking. And so I just felt like, awesome, I got a whole bunch of stuff. And uh, so you can do that tomorrow with your kids, and they'll be grateful. It's a good thing, too, because it helps prevent scurvy. And so, they, uh, so, so I'm going to get that. I know that. I also know I'm going to get a bunch of lottery tickets. My parents always give me lottery tickets every year. Also, my aunt and uncle give me lottery tickets, and I scratch every single one of them. I, I walk away with a dollar, though. That's it. Like, I don't really win much. And then I know I'm going to get a shirt from my mother-in-law, and it's always a nice shirt. I like that shirt because I always look forward to it. I'll probably wear it this Sunday. So, so, so these are things that, that I, I know I'm going to get each and every Christmas. But I also get different stuff too. And, and I'll tell you, I love to get gifts. Like I love receiving gifts. You, you guys have probably heard the phrase before, um, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Right? Jesus actually said that. He said it's better to give than it is to receive. I don't know about that because I like, I like to receive presents. Um, I love to get presents. And so if you're a person who likes to give presents, you can give them to me. I will receive them for you. I will make your joy complete. Just give them to me because I love receiving presents. And, uh, you know, during, during this time of year, um, we really focus on presents, don't we? Like, we start thinking about this. Who are we going to get presents for? Who are we not going to get presents for? Like, we started thinking about presents a whole lot. And my wife and I, we, we discover that, that sometimes Christmas becomes uh, very, very materialistic, very consumeristic. And so we didn't want that to be part of our Christmas this year. So we decided to boycott Black Friday. Uh, so we did all our shopping Thanksgiving night. Uh, we, we, we went out and we, we got the deals and all, and we didn't really shop for other people. We shopped for ourselves. And so we got a bunch of stuff Thanksgiving night, but, um, but, but, but it's always around this time that we started thinking about 
gifts and presents. And you know, this, this tradition of giving gifts has been going on for thousands of years. And um, tonight I want to talk to you about three gifts that were given 2,000 years ago uh, that were really profound gifts because these three gifts pointed to another gift that was given that has the potential to change your life tonight. You know, one of the, one of the questions that I, that I hate to be asked during this time of year, but I ask it all the time of people is this. I say, uh, is, hey, what do you want for Christmas? Um, the, the reason why I ask that of people is because uh, I've gotten gifts before. Like, like I want to give people stuff that they really like. I, I don't want them to have to take it back. Because I've gotten gifts before where I unwrap it and I look at it and I say, oh, oh, okay. Well, thank, uh, thank, thank you. Um, you really shouldn't have. <laughs> no, really, you shouldn't have. This is, oh, it's salmon. That's nice. That's, uh, do you have the gift receipt? <laughs> you, you've gotten that gift before too, right? Like, like, I've gotten stuff where I'm like, oh, man, what? And so I ask people, hey, what do you want for Christmas? Because I want to get them something that they really love. But, but, but I hate being asked that question because I don't really have a response sometimes. I don't know what I want for Christmas. When I think about it, I, I feel like I have everything that I, that I want, everything that I need. And so, and so sometimes I just say, well, I don't know, or just, just whatever you want. And, um, and, and maybe you would say the same thing. If you were asked that question, hey, what do you want for Christmas, you might say, you know, I, I don't really want anything. I don't really need anything. But, but I, think, I think for some of you tonight, you do need something. There's, there's something that you need that you might not know that you need. And, 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 and tonight, I want to show you what that is. Tonight, I want to uh, reach out and, and extend that present to you and offer it to you. And my hope is that you'll reach out and accept it. Uh, so if you have a Bible, would you guys open up to Matthew uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. I want to take a look at these three gifts that were given 2,000 years ago and what they have to do with us. So Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Also, if you don't own a Bible, you can download one for free uh, from the app store on your phone. If you just search Bible, uh, the first choice that comes up, it's probably by lifechurch.tv. It's a great Bible app. Be sure to download that. It's free. That's my gift to you. Merry Christmas. And uh, so now you'll have a Bible all the, way, uh, all the time. But uh, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And I want to give a bit of context before we read this. What we're going to read takes place about 2,008 years ago, between 4 and 2 BC, in Roman-occupied ancient Israel. Now, Jesus, Jesus has already been born. And so Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 picks up. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Verse 3, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. Now, uh, King Herod is the Roman appointed king of the region of Judah in ancient Israel. And um, the magi that come to speak with Herod, these are, uh, we, we refer to them as, as wise men, but they're more like uh, fortune tellers or astrologers. And so, so these magi, they come to Herod. They've been observing the stars. They see this one star, and, and somehow God speaks to them through that. And, and by the way, God speaks to us in, in, in ways that are outside of our box sometimes. Like sometimes we like to put people in boxes and say, oh, this person's in, this person's out, this person knows God, this person doesn't know God. But, but, but God speaks through uh, astrologers and fortune tellers here to say, hey, uh, go and celebrate the birth of my son. God can speak um, to people who we might think, oh, really? But because the truth is that God loves 
all people. And God wants to show all people his son and bring all people to his son. I'm not saying that he speaks through fortune tellers and things like that, but he can speak to them. And so he's speaking to these, these guys. They go to King Herod and they say, Herod, wh- where is the king of the Jews? Now, now, Herod doesn't really know anything about this. And, and when Herod hears this question, he's, he's a little uh, disturbed here because Herod is the king. And, and there's no room for another king. And so he starts to get insecure and, and, and paranoid because uh, he's hearing about this other king. He thinks this king that was born is going to take over his throne. And so we see in Matthew chapter 2, verse 4, uh, it says, When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. And so, so he hears, oh, it's the king of the Jews. Well, let me bring all the Jewish religious leaders together and find out what, what is this all about? And so he says, hey, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? This word Messiah means chosen one, means sent one of God. See, for hundreds of years before this time, uh, there were these rumors and prophecies about, about this king who would be born, this Messiah of God who would redeem Israel, who would restore the world. And so they, they respond to him about these prophecies. Verse 5, well, in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Verse 7, Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And one of the things that we discover later on in in, in this passage is that Herod actually doesn't want to worship this newborn infant, but instead he wants to kill him because, again, he's paranoid. He's insecure. There's this new king that's been born. There's only room for one king. So verse 9 says, they had heard the, after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Verse 11, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Skip down to verse 16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Now, often when you and I think about the nativity, uh, when we think about the, the Christmas scene on Christmas cards, we see how it's pictured. There's this, there's this baby infant Jesus who's born in a barn, and um, it, it, here's sweet little eight pounds, six ounce, newborn infant Jesus, don't even know his first word yet, and he's there laid in a manger, and a manger is a feeding trough, and so we see this, and then, and then there are two parents right around him, and they're smiling, basking in the glow of his holiness, and then we see all the, all the barn animals, and they're cute and cuddly, and they're all smiling, going around uh, looking at Jesus, and then we see the, the, the shepherds and, and the sheep, and then there's the, the three wise men, right? We three kings of Orient are, that's why I don't sing, um, but they're all there, and we know that there's three because they bring three gifts, 
Not really. We don't know how many magi they were. There could have been more than three. There could have been only two, but we know they bring three gifts. And then, and then we know that there's a little drummer boy who has no gift to bring. What is that? Like, this guy gets off cheap. He doesn't even have to bring anything. He just plays a song on a drum. Like, I can pa-rum-pa-pum-pum. Like, what is, what is that, right? And, so, and, and, and you know, too, when you got a little baby, you don't want somebody playing a cadence on a drum. Because, let, let, listen, listen. So help me, this baby just fell asleep. And if you wake him up, we, all right? Like, that's how it is with a newborn. And so he's there. He's not a parent. He doesn't know what he's doing. And so this is the nativity scene. This is what we, we see. But, and, and most of it is accurate, except for probably the drummer boy wasn't there. But, but also the magi weren't there. See, the night Jesus was born, the magi weren't there. The magi came much later. We, we see that. Because Matthew starts off, it says, after he was born, and then the Magi go to a house. Well, Jesus was born in a barn, and then Herod decides to kill all the infants in Bethlehem who are two years and younger. And so, so this is sometime after Jesus is born that the Magi come to bring their gifts, and, and they bring three gifts. They bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And tonight I want to talk to you about each of those gifts and, and what those means, because these are prophetic gifts. These are gifts that are saying something about Jesus, but they're also saying something about who Jesus is to us. And so the first one that, that we'll look at is gold. Gold um, is an is a element that, as we think about it, it, it brings up images of royalty. It brings up to us images of kingship and kingdoms, right? And, and, and many kingdoms were quantified based on the amount of gold that they could amass. If they had a whole lot of gold, then they were a powerful kingdom. If they didn't have much gold, they weren't that powerful. And, and kings, just to show their, show their power and their wealth, would overlay anything and everything they could with gold just to show how prestigious they were. And, and, and we also see, too, that when the Magi come to look for Jesus, they refer to him as the king of the Jews, because there was this prophecy that was circulating that one day there would be a king that was born, someone in the line of King David, and David was one of the greatest kings in the history of Israel, and so there would be one sent from God, born in that line, and so when the Magi bring gold to Jesus, what they're saying is Jesus is a king, but, but not a king like you and I think about. See, see you and I, it, it's hard for us to, to resonate with this, this whole kingdom king kind of mentality because we live in a democracy and so we don't really understand it so much. But, but in a kingdom, the king was the person who had the final say. He was the ultimate authority. He ruled over everything. And so when the Magi are saying that Jesus is the king, what they're saying is that he has the final authority, that he rules over everything. But he's not a king like we think of. He didn't come to set up an earthly kingdom. Rather, Jesus came to set up a heavenly kingdom. Not, not necessarily some kingdom up in the sky that floats out somewhere, but a kingdom here on earth that's the life and the way of heaven. See, maybe you've heard this phrase, the kingdom of heaven, and here's, here's what that means. Here's what we're talking about when we say that. When we say the kingdom of heaven, what we're talking about is a whole different lifestyle, a whole different way of living. Jesus came to bring the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Well, what does that mean and what does that look like? Just, just imagine for a second that you're in heaven. How would life be in heaven? Well, I'm sure there'd be love in heaven. There'd be peace. There'd be joy. 
There'd be, there'd be hope, there'd be contentment, there'd be forgiveness, there'd be all these different ways of living in heaven. And Jesus came to bring the kingdom of heaven here on earth. And so what that means is that if you've accepted Jesus, if you're a Christian tonight, then Jesus has invited you to be a part of his kingdom, to live out the kingdom of heaven. Really what Jesus does is he comes to bring a brand new way of life. He comes to bring a, a life where we love a life full of hope, a life of joy, a life of self-control, a life of peace, a life of purity. Jesus offers a new way to live. Some of you tonight have been going your own way. You've been living a different life than the life Jesus came to bring, and you would describe it as hell. You would look around at the way that you live and say, I'm experiencing hell. It's because you haven't entered into the kingdom of heaven kind of life. See, Jesus offers a different life, a way to live better, because look, we just believe that, that love is a better way to live than hate, right? Forgiveness is a better way to live than holding a grudge. Having peace is a better way to live than being anxious all the time. Jesus comes to offer us a new life, a different kind of life, a better life. And you know, some of us, we've gotten into situations in our life where, where we look around, and, and maybe you're there tonight where you look around and you just say, I hate where I am. I, I hate where I am. And sometimes we get misguided and we look at our situation, our circumstance, and then we blame God for it. We say, God, well, why did you do this to me? Why did you allow this to happen? But, but the truth is, if we're honest with ourselves and we looked at everything that led up to that, it's because we were following our own way. See, we got there because we were following our own way. And then we get there and we say, God, what's wrong with you? And then God looks at us and he says, I just let you have what you wanted. See, see, you and I, oftentimes we follow our own way, but Jesus is offering us a different way. I, I think that some of us could avoid the hurt and the pain that we experience in our life. We could experience the hell in our life if we would just surrender our lives to Jesus and say, would you be my king? Would you be my leader? Would you be my Lord? I want to give you everything. Would you just take it and lead me and guide me? I want to I live your way of life. But, but, but often, like, like our response to God is, is this. It's like, uh, hey, God, you, you're really awesome at that whole creation thing, and like you're keeping the galaxies going and all that stuff, and the solar systems and the planets are moving, and that's really great, and you watch over the birds and the rocks and the waterfalls, and keep doing that. You're great at that, but God, I don't think you know much about finances, and so I'm going to hold on to my finances. I'm going to manage my bank account and do it on my own, and how's that gotten you? Where's that gotten you? God, God, you're really great at all those miracles and all that stuff. I mean, feeding 5,000, wow, and then parting the Red Sea, that's awesome. But I don't think you know much about dating relationships, so I'm going to manage that myself, and I'm going to do that on my own. And how, where's that gotten you? Where's that gotten you? God, God, God you're, you're really great at the whole creation thing and everything like that, and that's really cool. But, but I don't really know if you know much about careers, and so I'm going to handle my career and the ethics there and how I interact with people, and I'm going to do, and, and, and where's that gotten you? See, see sometimes we, we like God as an idea and someplace that we go and visit on Sunday and yes, God and all this stuff or whatever, but when it comes to our everyday life and areas of our life, there are some sometimes where we section those off, where we keep them separate from him and we say, God, you can't be the king of this area of my life. I want to be in control of this. I want to lead this my own, 
But, but, but what God is doing is he's saying, no, let me be the king of your life, all of your life, every aspect of your life. Give me your wallet. Give me your career. Give me your family. Give me your relationships. Give me everything because I know what's best, and I want to help you through life. I want to be your king. And God is a good king. God is a good leader. God's way of life is the best way of life. And so the Magi bring gold to signify that Jesus is a king. And some of you today need to make the decision to make God the king of your life. To stop holding out, to stop running from him, to stop trying to do it on your own because you've been doing it on your own and it hasn't gotten you anywhere good and it's time to submit to him. So the Magi bring gold. Uh, another gift that they bring is frankincense. Frankincense uh, is an aromatic resin that comes from the camiflage tree. And uh, this, this is a resin that was used as an ingredient in the incense that the priests would make in the Old Testament scriptures. And so the priests of the Old Testament would, would put together this incense. They would enter into the tabernacle, which is the tent of God. They would light this incense as a form of worship to God. And so the, the aroma of the incense would fill the tent as they did their priestly duties. Now, what a priest would do is they would be the representative uh, be between the people and God. They would be the mediator, the go-between. So they would go to God on behalf of the people and represent them to God. Um, and so in order for them to do that, though, they needed to know the people they were representing. And so the priests were very familiar with the people of Israel. They knew the sin of the people. They knew the, the flaws. They knew the shortcomings. They knew what was wrong with, with, with these people. They, they also knew their pain. They knew their hurt. They knew their trouble. They knew their sorrow. And they would bring this before God and make intercession, plead with God on behalf of the people. So this is one of the things the priests would do. Another thing they would do on a yearly basis is they would take a lamb into the tabernacle and uh, in a symbolic way, they would place their hands on the lamb. And when they did that, what, what was happening was they were transferring the sin of the people they were representing onto the lamb. And then they would sacrifice the lamb. See, the lamb would give its life so that the people could have life. See, the, the, the thing is, the, the sins of the people, everything that separated them from God was laid on the lamb. And when the lamb died, it was like their sins died. And so they could be made right with God. They could have a relationship with God. And so this is, these are some of the things that the priests would do. And so when the magi bring frankincense, uh, what they're saying is that Jesus is our priest. And so, and so what does that mean, that, that Jesus is our priest? It, it, it means that God is not some cosmic being just kind of swirling out there somewhere. He's not some idea that we simply assent to, but, but God is near. God is close. God is with us. God knows your faults, failures, and flaws, and he loves you even in that. He, he loves you with all your scars. He loves you with your past, with your pain, everything. Jesus knows everything about you, and that shouldn't scare you because he loves you even in the midst of all that. It means that Jesus loves you in your pain. He knows your sorrow. He knows your suffering. And he's not out there wishing you well, but instead he's here with you now going through it. So you're not alone in whatever it is you're experiencing. It might be, it might be depression. It might be the pain of a miscarriage. It might be coping with 
How do I, how do I pay the next bill? It, it, it may very well be a divorce that you're in the midst of. Whatever your pain, whatever your sorrow, somebody tonight is wondering, is there more to live for? Is this it? And there's despair in it that you have. And you're not sure if you, could, you should go on anymore. And Jesus is with you in the midst of your suffering. He's with you in the midst of your sin. And he knows you. And you're not alone. Uh, I once heard a story about an old Hasidic rabbi named Levi Yitchek of Berdachev from Ukraine. And uh, he claimed that he learned the true meaning of love from a drunken peasant in a pub on the hillsides of Poland. He said he walked into the pub and there were these two guys sitting at the bar, uh, gloriously drunk in their drink, each with their arm around the other, each assuring the other of how much they loved one another. And then Ivan suddenly said to Peter, Peter, tell me what hurts me. Blurry-eyed, Peter responded, how should I know what hurts you? And Ivan's answer was swift. He said, if you don't know what hurts me, how can you say you love me? That Jesus is our priest means that Jesus knew and Jesus knows today what's hurting his people. Jesus knows what hurts you. Jesus knows your sorrow and your suffering and he's with you in the midst of it. Somebody needs to hear today that God loves you for who you are and not as you should be because none of us or as we should be. And Jesus meets you in your pain, he meets you in your sin, and he wants to take you to something greater. He wants to take you to a place beyond your pain. He wants to take you to a place beyond your addiction. Jesus wants to take you to a place beyond your brokenness. He wants to take you to a place beyond where you can find freedom and forgiveness and healing. So Jesus is our priest. And that means that he knows you. And he loves you. So the Magi bring gold, they bring frankincense, and then they bring myrrh. Uh, myrrh is an interesting gift. That's also an aromatic resin. It's, it's taken uh, from the myrrh tree, and um, it was used as a perfume and also as a painkiller. Um, and when myrrh was brought to Jesus, it was a representation of his death, that, that Jesus was going to die because they would use myrrh as a perfume for, for burial. And um, could you just imagine being Mary? Your baby is born. He's been with you at home for a while. These, these guys come with these gifts, and, and they bring gold, and, and that's a good thing. I mean, that represents kingship and kings, and that's awesome. And then they bring frankincense, and that's a good thing. It means maybe he has a close connection with God. It's like priest. But then they bring myrrh. Can you imagine being Mary and seeing the myrrh brought because the myrrh is a foreshadowing of Jesus' death. What the myrrh said to Mary was that one day your baby boy is gonna die. See, Jesus was born ultimately to die. And we see myrrh make a second appearance in the life of Jesus. Um, we see it in his birth, but we also see it at his crucifixion. In Mark chapter 15, verses 22 uh, and on, it says this, that the soldiers brought Jesus to Golgotha, meaning Skull Hill. They offered him a mild painkiller, wine mixed with myrrh, but he wouldn't take it, and they nailed him to the cross. Can you imagine being Mary, seeing your baby boy about to be crucified, 
and then they offer him myrrh. You see the myrrh again. How must Mary's heart have broken when she saw the myrrh? The gift that the Magi gave so long ago made its prophetic appearance one more time at the death of Jesus. And see, Jesus died so that you and I can have life. That brings us to a fourth gift. See, the Magi brought three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but it all pointed to a gift that Jesus gave us. Tomorrow, we're going to celebrate the birth of Jesus, and usually on your birthday, you get gifts from people, but, but Jesus actually gives us a gift, and it was the gift, the gift of his life. Jesus gave you and I a gift. See, tomorrow, when we celebrate the birth of Jesus, we don't celebrate the birth of a baby. We celebrate the birth of a Savior, and sometimes saviors get sacrificed. And Jesus became the sacrifice for you and I. What we discover in Scripture is that you and I are guilty of sin. Like none of us are perfect. All, all of us have, have rebelled against God. We've all done wrong in our life. I don't think I need to convince you of that. I think we all understand that, yes, we are imperfect people. We've been searching for meaning. We need something. And, and, and because we've sinned, because we've rebelled against God, because we've gone our own way, we refuse at times to make Jesus our king. We are separated from God. And we need a savior. See, just as the priest would take a lamb and lay his hands on the lamb to transfer the sin of the people onto the lamb, Jesus never did that, but he was our priest. Instead, Jesus became the lamb for us. When Jesus was crucified on the cross, he became our sacrifice. He became our lamb. And in some mystical, mysterious way, the sin of the whole world, your sin and my sin, everything that separated us from God was placed on Jesus. And notice when he was offered the painkiller, he refused to take it because he was gonna face crucifixion in all its agony. He was gonna face bearing our sins in all its agony. Jesus fully felt our pain so that he could fully pay for our sins. And when Jesus died on the cross, your sin died with him. Jesus gave you a gift on the cross, and it's the gift of forgiveness. And it's been wrapped nicely underneath the tree with your name on it for 2,000 years. And you know, just like with any gift, it's not yours until you reach out and accept it. You know, the way that we accept the gift that God has given us is, is to believe that Jesus died for us. To, to believe that he really did die on the cross and that he rose again from the dead three days later. We, we believe that that was true. And, and the way that we accept it is to believe it and then to be baptized into him. I gave you an opportunity earlier. I want to give you one more opportunity in a moment. You don't have to make the decision tonight. My hope, though, is that there's at least somebody here who needs to make that decision and that you won't put it off. See, you can have a tree wrapped under the present, or under the, you can have a present wrapped under the tree tomorrow for you, has your name on it, but it's not yours until you grab hold of it, unwrap it, and claim it for yourself. God has already forgiven you. If you've never even accepted God, he's already forgiven you. He's given you a gift, and it's there, waiting for you to reach out and accept it, to claim it as yours. And so, in a moment, I'm going to ask if you want to make a decision to accept Jesus 
you want to be baptized into him, like I said, we planned and prepared for you to do that. Jake plays this song in a moment. Um, I'm going to ask that you would go to the back. We want to talk to you about it. We want to pray with you. We want to get you ready. And we can baptize you tonight. And you may think, well, I'm not good enough. You're right, you're not. But Jesus makes you good enough. Jesus made you good enough on the cross. You may say, well, I gotta get some stuff straight in my life first. No, you don't. Because if you could get your life straight, you wouldn't need Jesus. And so I don't know what the excuses are. I don't know what you're thinking through in your head. But you know it's you tonight because there's adrenaline racing through your body as I'm talking about this. You're saying, that's me, that's me, that's me. But it can't be me. It's embarrassing. I don't know if I can do this. And you're coming up with excuses. Fight those excuses. Make that decision. You know, Jesus, he was God. And when he was on the cross, he could have come down at any time. He didn't have to stay there. But he chose to stay on the cross. And I think the reason is because he thought about you. It's because he thought about me. I think Jesus stayed on the cross hanging there and he whispered your name and he saw your face before him and he said, I'm doing this for Julie. I'm doing this for John. Jesus, I believe he whispered your name and he saw your face and that's why I stayed on the cross. He's given you a gift, so will you accept it? Hey, I want to introduce you to somebody. Uh, her name is Danielle. Danielle, would you come on up here? Would you give it up for Danielle? <clears throat> Danielle um, came to our church for the first time this past Sunday. Um, I made the same, I gave the same opportunity to accept Jesus that I just gave to you tonight. And uh, Danielle responded to that. It was her first time ever coming to our church. And I talked with her briefly before we baptized her. I said, Danielle, what, tell me your story. What led you here? And she said, this past Saturday, I was going to end my life. But I kept hearing your radio ads for Christmas Eve, and I thought, I need, to, I need to go to that church. And she came on Sunday, and she was hesitant. She wasn't sure about it. But I want you to, I want you to hear her story. I want you to hear what she has to say about it. So, Danielle, would you share that with us? I've known God for a long time, and I was baptized when I was about eight years old, so it felt like I was constantly getting further and further from Him. Eventually, I ended up living a life completely full of sin, and this year was the hardest for me. I'm a single mom. I don't get any support, and I had gotten into a work-related accident and lost my job, and that left me with no money for bills, no money for food, and no money for heat. So eventually, I just had to let my mom take my son. And each time something bad happened to me, I would just get up and dust myself off and keep going. And it just seemed like it pushed me further and further back. I had left an abusive marriage. He was a drug addict, and I became an EMT. But it just seemed like no matter what, it always seemed to just, 
outweigh the, the bad seemed to outweigh it. And eventually things just became too much. And this past Saturday, I felt like it was the day that I needed to just end my life, to just rest, to just have some peace, and to just fall into a deep sleep. My son would have had my mother to go to, and I just felt like it was a better situation for him because I couldn't provide. I was worthless. That's how I felt. I just felt hopeless. And on Saturday when I was contemplating on ending my life, I just had friends coming over, knocking on my door, checking on me, making sure I was okay. And that was God's grace. I kept hearing the Rising's Christmas Eve ad on the radio this past week, and something inside me kept telling me I needed to go. Sunday morning I woke up, my alarm sounded, and I didn't want to get up. I wanted to go back to sleep, but something in me wouldn't let me. It just kept me awake and just told me I needed to go. And I tried to make excuses. I didn't know anyone. I'd be alone, and I couldn't go back to sleep. I came for the first time this past Sunday, and it literally was the day that changed my life, that saved my life. I did not intend on being baptized that day, but when the opportunity came up, I made the decision. And now I know that I was meant for more, that my life is precious, and that God has a plan for me. I still have the same exact difficulties that I had on Saturday night as I do now. It, I just feel like it's not the same. He's taken the worry from me, and he's made me feel completely whole again. And so, uh, so you have the opportunity tonight to make a decision to stand and identify with Jesus. Hey, if that's you during this next song, you're going to see some images of other people who have been baptized through this church. Would you just make that decision? You're not alone. You're not the only one. We want to celebrate with you. Stand up, go to the back. We'd love to talk with you and celebrate with you. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We pray you are inspired and encouraged by today's message. For more information on The Rising, visit wearetherising.com.